Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to ESPN's NBA Start of the Playoffs Media Conference Call. Um, thank you all for joining us today. Um, we're here to discuss the 2019 NBA Playoffs, which start this weekend on ESPN and ABC with five Game 1s. The schedule, along with ESPN's commentator assignments, was issued in a press release today and is available at ESPN pressroom.com if you need. On the line today, we have two members of our ESPN NBA team, the analysts Paul Pierce and Jalen Rose. Paul and Jalen will be part of ESPN and, and ABC's pregame and halftime coverage starting this weekend and throughout the postseason, including our Western Conference Finals, which is going to be on ESPN, and the NBA Finals, which is on ABC. There'll be a transcript of today's call available this evening and on ESPNPressroom.com. We'll get started with the questions. Um, We are going to have Michael Scotto from The Athletic go first. Thank you, Shakima. Uh, Thank you, Shakima. Hey, Jalen. Hey, Paul. I hope you both are doing well. First question I wanted to ask you, uh, looking ahead towards the Brooklyn-Philadelphia series, was um, these two teams have built completely different ways. Obviously, Brooklyn didn't have uh, a lot of draft picks to work with, and Philly kind of stumbled for a few years and assembled a lot of high draft picks. I I was curious if you guys were to put your executive hats on um, and you could pick a path of which two – franchises you would try to build like would you rather do it the way Philly did and somewhat you know tank and get higher draft picks or do it like Brooklyn where you're trying to find these diamonds in the rough and it's a little bit uh harder it seems well I think I think every team you know has their own path and it's not it's not there's no one blueprint that's the right way that I believe when you try to build a, a championship contender you look at how Philly's done it. You look at how, how Golden State has done it through the draft. You see how Miami did it with LeBron through trades. You know, there's no right way. You know, you gotta you got to have a great infrastructure for one. You can't overspend on guys who are not really franchise players. But, you know, based on what Brooklyn's been able to do, based on them not having the draft picks, them being able to put together a team, you know, nobody expected to be in this place. You know, they're in a good place. And I look at them as a free agent destination. You know, being they, that they 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 got low cost, they've been able to develop uh, Russell into an all star. Uh, Whitty is coming to his own, and they have some very serviceable players. And um, you know, that could be a great free agent destination uh, in the near future. I agree. Yeah. I agree. With, I agree with Paul. Um, there's definitely no blueprint to doing it. One of the things I will say is, like, they the Nets turned it over a couple of times, and now they seem like they've gotten it right. And it started with, you know, Sean Marks. And then now you've got a head coach in Atkinson. They're happy with the player development. They want to take care of him, take care of the staff. And then that plays out with the development of Dan Witte and getting a new deal and Karis LeVert playing like an all-star, and then D'Angelo Russell just emerging the way he has. So uh, I definitely give him a lot of credit. 
Thank you. Next, we'll have Jim Williams with the San Francisco Examiner, followed by Chris Camroni with Salt Lake Tribune. Thanks very much, gentlemen. Uh, I was hoping to get your thoughts on the first-round matchup with the Warriors and the Clippers. I think the Warriors is going to sweep them. <laughs> I mean, but that's not taking away with Doc. You know, Doc has been able to do with the uh, with the team he has assembled because I know a lot of us thought after they made the trade of Tobias Harris that they will be a team that will be looking to tank and possibly getting the lottery for them to just even be in a position in the playoffs. You know, speaks volumes of, uh, you know, Doc's coaching uh, this year, and I don't think he got enough credit for that. He's, you know, they're one of two teams that didn't feature an all-star in the in uh, Western Conference playoffs, and he's got them, you know, to this point. So everything else is great for them. They've had a successful season, but I don't expect them to win a game. Um, I believe the Warriors winning this series as well. I think the Clippers will – at least win one game just based on the fact that they got six man of the year, Lou Williams. And then they got guys down low to just play hard like Montrez. Um, Gallinari's had a, had a terrific season. Shea Gilders Alexander, you know, continues to highlight why this is such a deep rookie class. And so, like Paul said, they, they outplay expectations. You just flip-flop the expectations of, the Laker wins versus Clipper wins headed into the season. It's it just amazing how, how that happened. And so uh, we know who the Warriors are, though. And uh, I'll say Warriors in five. Thanks, gentlemen. Very much appreciate it. Great. Next, we're going to have Barry Janoff with the New York Sports. Journal. Hey guys, thanks for your time here. I, um, I was wondering if um, you think with uh, what's happening in LA and the D Wade and Dirk farewells and that sort of stuff that's not basketball, you know, game related, but will it attract more casual viewers and even maybe more non NBA fans to see what's going on and make them more interested in what's happening? Uh, I don't understand what you mean, what's going on in LA. You know, with LeBron, like just just sort of the soap opera kind of stuff with Magic and, oh. you know, stuff not, not scoring baskets and not assisting on passes and stuff, but everything else that might be attracting, you know, people who are casual viewers or, or even non-basketball fans getting interested. Go ahead, Jerry. <laughs> or not at all. <laughs> Nothing? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to figure out like. Uh, well, let me ask you this then. Do you think people are saying Milwaukee needs to have some playoff experience to advance? Do you think they could advance without having been in the playoffs and winning, having won a series for like 15 years or something? Yeah, I think they definitely have the blueprint. They have a blueprint of a championship team. When you look at them, they have one of the top two or three players in the game. And I've always said you can't win a championship without that. They have a great coach. They're a top five defense. They're a top five offense. And when you look at the 
the characteristics of championship teams in the past, they, they have similarities of that. Um, if they were healthy, I'd give them a better chance. But since they're missing some key pieces, I think it's going to be tough on them. But, you know, from top to bottom, they have the DNA of a championship squad. When you say a top five player, top five defense, top five coach, top five offenses, they have all the ingredients. And I agree, missing Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon is going to be a huge loss. 50-40-90 guy that also locked down on D, gave some flexibility to the backcourt with Eric Bledsoe. Um, they have shooting everywhere. Lopez has reinvented himself. And it goes back to the question earlier about like how to build. And I think it was asked about the Sixers and the Nets. The same thing goes for the Bucks in theory. It all comes back to if you're going to have a great player. And Giannis has become that. We've seen Philly have, you know, a couple of guys that's going to be perennial all-stars and Embiid and Simmons. That's what the Nets are searching for next, and that's what they're missing. But for this year, um, Milwaukee does have all of the um, all of the characteristics of a team that has what it takes to advance really far. All right, thanks. Good luck in the playoffs. Next, we'll have Richard Dyich from The Athletic, followed by Gary Washburn from the Boston Globe. Yeah, this uh, question would be for both Paul and uh, Jalen. I'm wondering, um, guys, if the technology existed where you could mic the players, where it wouldn't impact the game, wouldn't affect movement or anything like that, um, one, would that impact the play on the court at all? And two, how do you think that would impact the viewing experience if you could hear everything on the court for the entire game? Um, I'm not sure how much that impact. Um, it uh, it's different today than it was, say, like 10 years ago. Like, even when I wore a mic, because uh, we did that when, when I played, it got to the point to where I – I, I forgot that I had a mic. I forgot I had a mic on. And so, you know, it didn't uh, sway my ability to on how I played or what I said on the court. Um, I'm not sure how the viewer would take it. I mean, or what kind of impact that I have on, you know, allowing people that type of insight. Um, I don't know. You know, not a lot of talk is being done on the court outside the basic, you know, talk on defense, offense. I mean, it would have been a lot better say, 10 years ago when guys really, like, talked a lot of trash to each other. You know, you don't see that no more. Mm. You know, so I don't, I don't know. Jalen? Hey, Richard, how are you? A, co- a couple of you? things. Good. Obviously, it's almost like reality TV. So when when you let the camera in, it feels like it, it might as well be hitting in the corner, and it people forget that it's on, and you know that that's become a, a popular industry now, reality television. And so in in sports, however, it's different because you're required to be a role model as well. And I think the balance of being able to 
be really competitive, be competitive and be vocal. Like Paul will forget that he had it on and he was one of the more trash talking players and KG as well. They were out there barking, but other people don't forget that you have it on. And so every time you go up to talk to somebody, you're pointing and letting them know that you're mic'd up. Just think about it. Recently, we saw LeBron and KD on the court talking. They didn't want us to hear what they were saying. So much so, they covered their mouth. Players are now covering their face with towels. And like what happened with Steve Kerr and Draymond Green, um, that that level of exchange that he had with Mike Brown, I think if it's really censored, kind of like when ABC or TNT do the games, and I guess it gets uh, – there's an approval process before what's actually played. Um, I think that that would be helpful. And then the other thing is people don't want to give away strategy. So that, that's going to be another tough thing to really get as well. Appreciate that. Thank you. Next, we'll have Gary Washburn from the Boston Globe, followed by Chris Kamrani from Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, uh, this question is for Paul. I got two for Paul. One, of course um, you do, Gary. Of course you got two for him. Of course I do. Hitting, hitting, hitting. Did you expect as much flack uh, about the Wade comments as you've gotten? What's been your reaction to the Twitter, uh, you know, Wade that it caused? And uh, do you appreciate those things? Do you appreciate? I mean, do, do you appreciate kind of the attention you've gotten, even though it's some of it's been negative uh, about people looking at your career numbers and comparing you to Wade? What, what's that been like? Okay, <laughs> you know I don't care about that stuff, man. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't even know what's going on half the, half the time. <laughs> Come on, Gary. You know me, man. I mean, that's, you know that stuff don't bother me. I mean, as a player, I've been the same way. I mean, I can't help. That's what made me who I am. And you know that. I mean, people can say what they want to say. I've always been a villain in this league. I've always been booed on the road. I've all, I mean, it's nothing new. You know, it doesn't bother me one bit. Second uh, I, didn't come, I didn't come into this game to, to please everybody, to make sure everybody liked me. So, you know, it just, you know, if I give an opinion on something and they, all, and they don't like the, my answer, then so be it. That's the way I feel. And, you know, people can say what they want to say. But it's got to be kind of, it's, it's, this is kind of making you laugh, it seems like, this whole last week. Pretty much. <laughs> I thought it was – I thought even like in Dwayne Wade's last game, I, I thought that was silly because it takes it away, it's taken away from what he's accomplishing, everything he's done. Why are they worried about, well, I don't even play no more? You know, so, yeah, I, I do laugh. Uh, same question. Um, Danny said this morning that this current Celtics team – he can he goes back to the 2010 team when you guys finished the year 27 and 27, but then made the game seven of the finals, um, mm-hmm. and, and and basically flipped the switch. Is there any comparisons? And what do you what 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 are your reflections on that team 
when you guys were kind of struggling at the end and were the fourth seed, but actually obviously made that run? Well, the difference between that team, we had championship DNA. So we knew what it took already. This team has never been to the finals. And how do they know what's that going to take? So, I mean, it's a huge difference. You know, it's like the Golden State Warriors this year, they got bored with the regular season. You know, we were older. We coasted a lot during the season. And we knew when it was time to elevate our play, our intensity, we knew how to do that because we had championship DNA in that locker room. And so, you know, if you don't have that, then it's hard to, like, really, like, say you can turn it up like that because you don't know what turn it up to a certain level really means, you know, to be at a championship level. Appreciate it, Paul. Bye, Gary. Next, we're going to have Chris Kamrani from Salt Lake Tribune, followed by David Barron from Houston Chronicle. Hey, this is for Paul and for Jalen. I'm just wondering, what is it about Quinn Snyder's style and approach as a coach that has kind of led Utah to this steady rise, you know, after that rebuild for a couple of years? I'm just wondering what impresses you guys about Quinn's ability to, to coach this team up and why this style fits this group so well? I'll take that one. So, like, Chauncey and and I talk a lot about this. Teams having an identity. And a couple of years ago, I felt when he became the head coach, he started to give Utah basketball an identity. And at the time, we were counting around the league. And they weren't necessarily great teams, per se. Like Memphis, for example, we were like, they have an identity. Great and grind. Like, just what what, what character – on the sideline that ultimately gets played out what they want to have happen on the floor. And so initially you got to get an anchor and go bears an anchor. You know, he, he, he improved this year in points, rebounds and assists. Um, he's terrific at protecting at the rim and guarding pick and roll. Like he, he's likely to, that's the person I think I'm going to vote for for defensive player of the year. He's been that good. And, and then all of a sudden, boom, here comes Donovan Mitchell after you, leave, after you lose Gordon Hayward. Because Gordon Hayward, I was always a fan of his game in Utah, and he was on the rise there as well. So you lose him, and then all of a sudden you get Donovan Mitchell. People didn't think that he was going to be the player that he has turned out and will continue to turn out to be. He set the league on fire and the playoffs on fire last year. And so not, now all of a sudden – everybody else can fall into their roles. Like, if, if you see Joe Ingles, like, I don't think he was an NBA player, you know, but he, he's smart, pass, he can shoot, he's tough. Ricky Rubio got quick hands, he can pass, he a vet. So, like, I'm looking forward to Utah and seeing what they're going to do in this first-round series. They, they they can't be slept on. Thank you, Jalen. Thank you. Next, we'll have David Barron from Houston Chronicle, followed by Ashwin Alshaw from The Hindu. In that vein, the the Rockets now have, uh, will be playing Utah in the first round after falling from number two to number four. What uh, what uh, challenges do they face in that series, and 
what does it do to their potential hopes of getting out of the uh, Western Conference due to the fact that they will have to play the uh, the the, uh, the Warriors sooner rather than later if they're able to get past Utah? Wait, I, I, I don't even. Can you repeat that? <laughs> Excuse me. So the the the, uh, the Rockets fell from number two to number four, so they're going to have to okay, play Utah yeah. in the first round. So, what challenges do they face in that series, and what does it do to their long-term prospects with the fact that they would have to play uh, Golden State sooner rather than later, even if they're able to get past Utah? Well, I think there's some advantages to that. You know, when you go into a deep playoff run and you know, each round gets tougher and tougher. You know, guys deal with all type of injuries and bangs up and are banged up as we saw the wear and tear on Chris Paul last year. I think the one advantage to maybe playing them in the second round, they could be, you know, a little a little more fresh, a little more healthier, not as many bumps and bruises, you know, that the first round presents. Because I know the times when I've gotten to like the conference finals, I'm you know, I'm I'm sore, I'm I'm playing against better defenses every round. And so you become banged up and, you know, vice versa. So that can be an advantage to the Houston Rockets if they're able to get past Utah and see the Golden State Warriors a little more fresh than they would normally be by, you know, doing six or seven games Utah, six or seven games in the second round. You know, that can be somewhat advantageous to knock them off early and then they can see a clear path to the finals if they can do that. What challenges do they face against Utah? I think you were just mentioning a couple of a couple of minutes ago in terms of their of getting past Utah before they can get to Golden State. Well, yeah, Utah is going to be a, a tough out. I mean, they're well coached, disciplined. They have young stars. Um, they have uh, great discipline. And but I just think the Houston Rockets are so much better than them. You know, the Utah Jazz are just getting their feet wet as a playoff contender. Um, and I just see a different look in the eyes of the Houston Rockets and the eyes of James Harden, who was my MVP uh, this year. Um, I don't see them causing too much trouble. I don't think this series will go past six. Um, I think I think Houston is going to be on a mission this year now that they're fully healthy. Thank you. Ashwin Ashal from the Hindu. Yeah. Hey, guys, thanks for the time. Uh, I think uh, many of us would agree that as things stand, Golden State Warriors are probably the uh, favorite to go all the way and become the NBA champion. Um, and probably the Houston Rockets uh, coming in uh, as a second favorite. Uh, uh, what do you see? Uh, do you see any other team uh, running these two close and uh, if so, what are the sort of weaknesses that uh, you see in these two teams that uh, opponents can sort of exploit? Um, well, with the Golden State Warriors, is their lack of depth. You know, if you know guys get into foul trouble, um, this is the model, This is probably the most. This is the least. This is the least. This is. But the one team that has the least amount of depth that I've seen out of that championship run. Um, and with Houston, you know, I think they just 
they can't. They've had a problem in the past with James Harden just having that one horrendous game that just <laughs> in crucial in crucial moments of the playoffs to where it just really hurts them. Other than that, if he could play at an MVP level, then they have all the ingredients also. And as far as the Eastern Conference, there's only one team I can see beating the Golden State Warriors, and that'll be the Toronto Raptors. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I would say uh, Warrior um, weaknesses, Steph Curry, ankle. Saw him roll it on a non-contact um, situation the other day. Um, the officials, you know, um, Draymond, Boogie, and now KD, they're going to be on the officials. And and that could play a factor with foul trouble, technical fouls. Uh, For Houston, making their threes, they still had a chance to win last year. They missed 27 straight threes when they counted the most. Um, And Chris Paul's health. While James Harden um, has been terrific, they're going to need Chris Paul to, you know, play at the level that we're we're used to seeing him play at when he's healthy. Great. Thanks a lot, Dace. Thank you. Thank you, Paul, and thank you, Jalen. That is going to wrap up our conference call today. As I mentioned earlier, um, we will have transcripts available that we'll send out today, and they will also live on ESPNPressroom.com. Thank you all for joining. Have a good one.